You've probably definitely heard of the WTA rebrand campaign, hashtag WTA for the game. Oh yeah, I think mine would be hashtag for the Naomi Osaka serve. Really? I think hashtag for the Jennifer Brady forehand would work better for you. If you say so, or maybe hashtag for the Gen Z superstars like Coco Goff and Iga Swiatek. Okay, that one works. One thing we could definitely probably agree on is we do it hashtag for the listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics, united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Welcome back to Hold On To Your Racket, everyone. Today is December 7th, and Josefina and I are super excited for this episode because A, we haven't recorded for a while, B, we haven't talked with the WTA in a while, and C, we're revisiting some of the best moments of the WTA tour this year today, so we're pretty stoked. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the WTA season ended so long ago, and plus like added to that we haven't recorded in so long you would expect that i'd be having like withdrawal symptoms by now but it's okay i'm alive (laughs) yeah yeah we've had a pretty busy past uh past week or so since the end of nito but now we're here to give you a rundown on the wta season so let's jump into the hottest of hot headlines of 2020 starting with a bittersweet one which is sharapova and wozniacki's retirement Right, so Caroline Wozniacki announced that she would retire at the 2020 Australian Open on December 6th of 2019. And then she officially retired after a third round loss to Ange Jabour on January 24th. And that was at the age of 29. And she said that she retired mainly due to the fact that she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in 2018. And she has also been very active in raising awareness about the condition since then. Some of her career highlights, because she's one of the greatest players on the WTA tour, or was, I guess, just just to bring it up, because I think it should be appreciated. Well, we do. Um, she was a former world number one for a total of 71 weeks on three separate occasions, and she was also the first woman from a Scandinavian country to hold that top-ranking position, and she won her first and last Grand Slam in 2018 at the Australian Open, and she was a two-time finalist at the U.S. Open, and then also won the 2017 year-end finals. She added to that, she was also a four-time Grand Slam semifinalist. And then Maria Sharapova retired on February 26th. Um, She simply decided that it was time to end her professional tennis career after a pretty busy past few years with some issues off the court with her doping incident and also um, some injuries as well. So she was former world number one for a total of 21 weeks on five separate occasions. And she is one of only 10 women and the only Russian women to hold the career Grand Slam. 
winning five Grand Slam titles total, two at the French and one each at the other three slams. She's also a Olympic silver medalist at the London Games in 2012, and she has a total of 36 titles. So it's definitely sad to see both these women um, go off the tour. They've been huge legends and forces in the game for this past era of WTA tennis that I think we're slowly starting to see being superseded by like the WTA next gen. Um, And it also feels like their retirement happened a very long time ago. It's been a pretty long year. So going back to Australian Open times or even till February seems like a pretty long time back. Yeah, I mean, they certainly used like the most of their career. These two players, they left a lot on tour and definitely a lot of legendary feats associated with their names. (laughs) So moving on to some more recent hot headlines, we're going to reflect back on Naomi Osaka not playing her semifinal at the Western and Southern Open in protest and her stand against racial injustice. So on August 26th, she didn't play her semifinal in protest against racial injustice and police brutality, and that inspired the entire tournament, the WTA and the ATP, to take a pause that day. And she said that she hoped to inspire a new generation with her uh, with her move, and it was a very remarkable gesture that pushed the professional tennis world to take that important stance. And because of not only that move, but the consistent activism that she's shown since then, and really throughout this year, um, she was named Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. There were five winners total, and Sports Illustrated this year celebrated the activist athlete. So um, Osaka definitely fits that bill. And I mean, hopefully she can push the tennis world to be even more inclusive because you know, she's done such great work already. I think we're seeing younger stars like Coco Golf also um, follow in those same uh, footsteps. Um, because as much as we love tennis, it still has a long way to go when it comes to being more inclusive, more diverse, and, um, you know, more active in that sense. So I think that it's great to see a new generation of players bringing that to the court. And speaking of in social justice movements, I mean, 50 years ago, another hot headline is the formation of the original nine, the formation of the WTA tour. And remembering that historic $1 bill photo with the nine women there. And the International Tennis Hall of Fame actually introduced an exhibit highlighting and showcasing the original nine called We've Come a Long Way. So it's really cool to see that they're really highlighting and showcasing how historic this movement was because we would not be at all where we are today without those nine women and what they did. Yeah, so that was a great way to commemorate the 50th anniversary this year. And then perhaps the most recent hot headline that we actually haven't talked about on the podcast at all is the WTA's rebrand. So in early December, they launched their new logo and the WTA for the game campaign, which we referenced in our little intro skit. What they hope to do with the For the Game campaign is to engage the fans more. So they've released these player videos which give fans and more of an an inside look as to what these players play for. Um, So for example, Sophia Kennan is for the dreams, Osaka for the next generation, Kvitova for the fight. You can go onto their website and there are a bunch of those cool videos there. And also, the WTA said that Quote, a series of fan engagement activations will be released as the 2021 season begins. So that should be something interesting as well. On a more technical note, the WTA also changed their tournament structure to mirror that of the ATP, 
which is a big sign of the tours working together. The WTA president actually said that the success of Tennis United increased ticket sales at tournaments and TV networks having more success where there are both WTA and ATP matches are indicators that fans do want to see more of the integration between the two tours. So the WTA is adopting the 250-500-1000s nomenclature for the tournaments, um, but they're going to be sticking to the point system they had before where the Premier Mandatory or Premier Fives would still be worth 900 points, but now they're going to be called WTA 1000s, which is a little confusing, but... I guess it makes it more consistent across the tours about the levels of each tournament. Um, But, Josefina, I mean, we remember discussing during the Italian Open the obvious um, pay gap between the two tours in that same tournament. So even though they have the same names, I think there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be done regarding numbers when it comes to paychecks. Yeah, I believe we actually read out the specific, like, like um round to round direct comparisons of the prize money and just as the as it got as the rounds got farther in the comparison got less but still at the beginning the just it was a huge difference that we just couldn't believe yeah so 2020 was full of retirements activism reflecting on past activism and an outlook on the future of the WTA so that sets up sets us up perfectly for 2021, um, the Australian Open coming up. But I think now that we've taken some time to read the hot headlines, we're going to give you a bit of a recap of the Grand Slams. So the first Grand Slam of the year was the Australian Open, as always. Yep, I know, seems like a long time ago, as we said. But this is really when the WTA tour really took off this year with kind of a theme that we would see throughout the year when it came upon the next gen of the WTA to make some waves. Exactly, especially considering Sophia Kennan made a major breakthrough this year and she came in as the 14th seed but came out as the champion. She defeated a very informed Coco Goff in On the Rise Ange Jabour and the world number one Ashley Barty in the semifinals. In the final, she came back from a set down, and it just became a start of an amazing 2020 for Kennan, especially in the Grand Slams. Yeah, we're going to talk about her success at the French Open, too, in a little bit, but let's talk about Garbini Muguruza reaching the Grand Slam final in the beginning of the year at the Australian Open. I mean, that was pretty awesome. She came into the tournament unseated. Like, Garbina Muguruza, a multiple-time Grand Slam champion, came into the tournament unseated. She hadn't really been finding her form for, like, a a season or two. And then she was even bageled in the first round of her, uh, in the first set of her first-round match at the Australian Open. So despite that, despite those hurdles she'd been facing recently, she made it all the way to the final. And she didn't have an easy route to the final. I mean, she had to beat Svitolina, Burtons, Pavlyuchenkova, and Simona Halep to get there. So I think that that was a great start to the season for Maruta, and I think easy to forget just because it seemed like it's so long ago, but it was really nice to see that she was finding her Grand Slam form again after so long. Then there were also some upsets, as always. We remember the um, epic round two upset of Chang Wang when she beat Serena Williams. That was an awesome match. It went the distance and... Definitely a shocker. I think people were kind of wondering if Serena would be able to get number 23 
this year at the Australian Open. And then also, Coco Gauff upset the defending champion Naomi Osaka and made it all the way to the round of 16. So that was also pretty impressive in Melbourne. I mean, looking forward to next year, we cannot even begin to express how excited we are to cover our first ever Australian Open here on Hold On To Your Racket. We just love that beginning of the year buzz, like that just starting up the tennis season like energy it's just so great and like positive because anything can happen wow yeah i'm excited to cover it too i think um we've only done two grand slams and two pandemic era grand slams australian open will still be a pandemic era grand slam but We definitely chose to start this podcast at the weirdest time. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of been a little up and down, but here we are providing you that same amazing content. Moving on to the U.S. Open, the second Grand Slam of the year, which is weird to say. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, just the U.S. Open was kind of the culmination of everything because that's when really the tour really started back up again. And it was one of the first ones that we came back from after the COVID break. Not, It's not really a break. <laughs> it was more like a, a pause. But yeah, yeah it's a COVID pause. Was definitely, is definitely still happening. But, the U.S. Um, Open really said, press resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the U.S. Open definitely had a lot, of, um, lot on their plate and a lot on their shoulders when it came to being the first Grand Slam to resume during a pandemic. But... You know, we saw American women do really well at the U.S. Open with their home court advantage. We had three in the quarterfinals, which is the most since 2017. Jennifer Brady, obviously remember her incredible run to the semis when she eventually fell to the eventual champion. Um, Shelby Rogers made it to the quarterfinals, upsetting Kvitova and Rybakina, which is amazing, two very informed players. And Serena Williams also had an amazing run to the semifinal after um, losing to Azarenka, which was quite the match. Um, But, I mean, yeah, awesome for American women this year at the U.S. Open. And then moving forward to, like, another kind of category of players that did really well were the moms. Nine entered the draw, and three made it to the quarterfinals, the first one being Svetlana Pirankova. This is the first tournament she's played since 2017 and having her child, and she made it all the way to the quarterfinals, upsetting Muguruza en route. And it was just an amazing and inspirational run for her at the U.S. Open, and she definitely proved herself at this tournament. And next up, we have the infamous Serena Williams, we mentioned her results before and just on the note of her being a mom her daughter olympia kept making these surprise appearances on tv watching her matches which was always so adorable and then we have victoria zarenka she was looking super strong headed into the u.s open having just won cincinnati and she used that momentum to the best of her ability and she made it all the way to the final this was also just an amazing result And finally, and most importantly, we have the winner, Naomi Osaka, who took the title after defeating Victoria Azarenka 1-6-6-3-6-3. This is Naomi Osaka's second U.S. Open and third Grand Slam, counting her Australian Open win. 
Yeah, so the U.S. Open was definitely pretty awesome. I think transitioning into Roland Garros, a very cold and windy Paris environment to have the Grand Slam take place, which is definitely not when Paris usually hosts the event. But we saw the next generation pull through again in all three Grand Slams. And I think, I I don't know why, but I felt that the French Open champion, this victory was the most shocking i mean Iga Swiatek really out of nowhere like when we say nowhere really just out of nowhere like Kenan was kind of out of nowhere too but like i feel like Iga Swiatek was just that was like (laughs) thinner out of thin air exactly it's like when you're like striking a pinata like blindfolded and you don't know what's gonna come out that's like with the wta grand slam champions sometimes they're all so good all the players that you don't know who's gonna you know be there but one of them always rises to the occasion and that was Iga Swiatek. so she upset number one seed Halep in the round of 16 i think everyone kind of thought that Halep would go into this and just take the win take the whole title um but <laughs> Iga Swiatek did not let that happen she beat Trevi Sun in the quarters, um, who we also talk about having that miracle run. She defeated Podoroska in the semis. Um, obviously, she was the second Argentinian player in the semis, along with Diego Schwartzman on the ATP side. And she was also um, making an amazing run. And then Iga Spiatek made it to the final and Where? still didn't drop a set. Exactly. And then she played Sophia Kennan, who we talked about before having an amazing Grand Slam record this year, um, having won the Australian Open, as you may have heard, like, one <laughs> minute ago. And exactly, again, Iga still did not drop a set. And all that while being a teenager. And she was just completely unstoppable at the French Open. And we so look forward to her future in the world of professional tennis. And Like, personally, I think she's definitely a person we, as in the Gen Z podcast, want representing Gen Z as we move forward into the new era of WTA tennis. She was also voted WTA fan favorite player of the year. I would Um, vote for that. Yeah, I I think I voted for her, too, um, for the vote the WTA had on their website or whatever. And also, she's just, she just finished high school. Like she's not, like she's a teenager. She just finished high school. She was just finishing up her studies, and I think we talked about this in our Roland Garros recap episode. But she said she went into after the COVID break um, in the tennis season. She was like she felt like she could really win a Grand Slam, and that's how she felt like and was thinking in her U.S. Open preparation. And then that pressure got to her, and then she kind of refocused as we talked. We've talked about her sports psychologist so much, and she was able to pray play freely at the French Open and finally took the win. But I also don't want to negate the fact that Sophia Kennan's run after coming back from that double bagel loss in Rome to being able to make it through all the way to the finals at the French Open was also pretty amazing. So I think Osaka, Kennan, Swiatek, definitely some strong Gen Z powerhouses at the Grand Slam level. So after focusing on some of the main tournaments of the year, we're going to focus on the players and talk about some of the WTA award nominations, starting off with the WTA player of the year. Yeah, so our first nominee is Victoria Azarenka. She, you know, before the end of August, she was kind of having a rocky year. You know, she's been 
she hadn't had the best seasons in the past couple of years, but then after the top seed open, she won the Western and Southern Open, got the final, got to the finals at the US Open and the finals in Ostrava, and she ended her year-end ranking at number 13. So that's the first time she's been in the top 15 since 2017. So definitely made some strides this year. Second nominee is Simona Halep. She won 50% of her tournaments this year. So she entered six. She won three. That's pretty darn awesome. She also got to the Australian Open semis and took titles in Dubai, Prague, and Rome. Um, and, you know, even though she didn't take a Grand Slam this year, it's a weird year. And she ended in the year and ranking of number two in the world. So definitely pretty strong. And then S- Sophia Kennan, who kind of the opposite actually had her all of her success pretty much in the Grand Slams, winning the Australian Open and getting to the Roland Garros Finals, and um, not so much really off the Grand Slams um, in comparison to how well she did at the majors, but she also won a title in Lyon and ended at the ranking spot of world number four. And next up, we have Naomi Osaka, who did not play many tournaments this year, only four But still, either way, this has been a weird year. Not a lot of players have been signing up for many tournaments, so we're still definitely giving her credit. She was the Western and Southern Open finalist, and then directly after, U.S. Open champion, and she ended the year at number three. After that, we have Arena Sabalenka, who had pretty inconsistent results, but when she did have good results... They were very good, and they were kind of mostly like in a bunch at the end of the year. But she started off with the a win in Qatar and then ended the year with a consecutive wins in Ostrava and Linz, and she ended at number 10. And then lastly, we have Iga Sviatek, who we already talked about a bit, and she really has this one result standing out, but it was like <laughs> an amazing result, which was winning the French Open, and her year-end ranking was number 17, And she just looks like she's on her way up because she's at her career high now and her ranking is really spiking. I would say if I had to pick someone out of all of these, for me, it's pretty clear cut to be Sophia Kennan. I just think that when it came to the bigger matches, the bigger stages at the Grand Slam tournaments, she was the one who did the best out of all these players. And, you know, she had that success in Australia, um, kind of. It, it didn't play that well right after she got that title in Lyon and then she brought it right back um, in Roland Garros to get to the finals there again. So I think in the Grand Slam, she was the player who everyone was looking out for, everyone was talking about. And I think that's why she would probably deserve the title of player of the year. Um, Personally, I think I'm going to go with Sabalenka because even though at the beginning of the year she, she wasn't looking very good, she ended the year so strongly, and I think that's really important when looking forward to 2021. So maybe she'll have more success in the beginning because of the this momentum that she has at the end of 2020. Interesting. I wasn't expecting a Savalenka pick, but um, I'm going to stick with Kennan because I think she had a better year. But you know what? We're going to have different opinions. To each their okay. own. <laughs> So when we go into WTA Most Improved Player of the Year, these, there are some awesome nominees in this. So basically, they had to finish instead of the top 50, and they had to improve the most over the year. So starting off with Jennifer Brady, she ended 2019 at 56. She got to 24, so that's a gain of 32 spots. And she got the top seed open title and the U.S. Open semis. 
Fiona Farrow ended 2019 at 63 and ended 2020 at 42, moving up 19 spots, winning the Palermo Open and getting to the round of 16 of the French. Ons Jabor ended 2019 at 77 and is currently at 31. So that's a gain of 46 spots, and she had her best Grand Slam results this year at the Australian Open quarters and Roland Garros round of 16. Elena Rybakina ended last year at 37, currently at 19, so that's a net gain of 18. And she started off the year amazing with a Hobart title, finals in Shenzhen, St. Petersburg, and Dubai, and then got to the finals of Strasbourg after the break. Um, but she did lose a bit of momentum after the break compared to how well she was doing before. And then at the end, we have Iga Swiatek, who ended um, in, uh, 2019 at 61, Currently at 17, a gain of 44 spots, and obviously um, her best results were Australian Open round of 16 and French Open champion. So, Josefina, who would you pick? I feel like, for me at least, this boils down to three players, but who would you pick? Um, For me, it's between two players, and that would be Brady and Jabour, because I feel like Brady is at a point in her career where she really is climbing upwards, but it's also a point in other people's careers, like considering age, that they would be going down. So I think it's really impressive that she's just using this momentum. And then she really, like, really showed what a good player she is, a great player she is at the U.S. Open this year. And I really love that. Yeah, I would say for my three nominees, like, out of this would be Brady, Jabur, or Swiatek. Um, I think if we're looking at consistency throughout the year, um, I would go with Ons Jabor because Ika Swiatek had that great run at the end at the French Open. Jennifer Brady did well at the top seed Open and at the U.S. Open, but then after that, um, not as much compared to Ons uh, Jabor, who carried it throughout the year and moved up 46 ranking spots, which is more than anyone else. Um, so that's why I think I would pick her. I agree but I with think that. that I, I definitely see that. I think it's like... I, I would agree with you that Brady and Jabor might be, like, they're definitely two. Um, these two to three players are really, really made some strides this year, and I, I was really happy to see especially success from Jabor and Brady since they are in the more later stages of their careers than Iga Swiatek, who we know is going to have so much time to grow. Exactly. That's why, I was, that's why I was between Brady and Jabor more than Swiatek. So moving on to the next award, we have the WTA Comeback Player of the Year, starting off with Victoria Zarenka, who played 17 tournaments last year. So it's not really a comeback from her leave from the tour from being pregnant with her son, but it is definitely a comeback in terms of her performance this year versus last year. I mean, just the way she ended the season was just immaculate. She ended with the Western and Southern Open champion, being the Western and Southern Open champion, U.S. Open finalist, and Indostrava finalist. So that's just some awesome results right there. The second nominee is Svetlana Perankova. So she's been off the tour since 2017, um, which is when she was pregnant with her child. And the U.S. Open was her first tournament back, and making it all the way to the quarters with wins over Muguruza, Vekic, Cornet, and then stretching Serena to three sets is pretty impressive. On the flip side, though, she only played two tournaments this year, but again, having that amazing success at um, the U.S. Open was 
pretty um, pretty remarkable and I think definitely qualifies her to be in this category and a strong contender for um, winning the award. Next up, we have Laura Sigmund, who suffered a knee injury in 2017 and really hasn't found her form since then. So that's really why she's being considered a comeback player of the year because she won the U.S. Open doubles title. Plus, she her first Grand Slam singles quarterfinal, she made it to at the French Open. So these are definitely some big results considering how long she's been kind of here up and down in results. Um, then we have lastly Patricia Maria Tigg. She didn't play for the entire 2018 season because she had injuries and she was also pregnant with her daughter and she actually then received an inactive player status. She returned to the tour last year. She was mostly playing on the ITF circuit and then in 2020 she re-entered the top 100 and got her first tour level title at the Istanbul Cup so that's also another amazing comeback from pregnancy and injuries. But when we have to pick our comeback player of the year, who would you pick, Josefina? Um, I think I would say Azarenka because, I mean, the fact that she's been kind of off the tour, not really completely off the tour, but off the tour since, like, just not off the tour. I mean, like, inconsistently playing. And then this year, just her results just slap in the face. Whoa, I'm back. I just thought that it was really prominent how she came back this year. Yeah, I would definitely say that Azarenka is one of my top two. But if I had to pick, I would say Perankova. I think performance-wise, Azarenka definitely did better this year. But if we're talking about an actual full-on comeback from a lot of time off the tour, I'd 100% say Perankova because Azarenka has been playing a bunch of tournaments these past few years. Perankova has had a ton of time off the tour, so if we're talking about a major comeback, I would pick her, but I think it's awesome to see both of them doing so well, along with Patricia Maria Tigg being three moms in this category, so that's pretty awesome. So now that we've talked about comeback player of the year, we do want to talk about some young guns. So WTN Newcomer of the Year, who are our nominees? First one is Layla Fernandez, who is 18 years old, and she's coming back from well coming from strictly playing ITF events last year before qualifying for major tournaments this year like the Australian Open the top seed open where she also upset Sloane Stevens later and the Western Southern Open and then also she made some Grand Slam debuts this year making it to the second round of the US Open and third of the French Open she ended last year ranked 209 now she's ranked 88, so it looks like she's just going to keep going up the rankings, especially since she's so young. And the next nominee we have is Anne Lee, an American 20-year-old who started the year with qualifying for the Australian Open and later reaching the round of 64. And then after that, she reached the round of 32 in the U.S. Open, and she finished the year off with her first ITF title. She ended last year at 148, and she ended this year inside the top 100 at 97. Our last two nominees were the Roland Garros breakthroughs, Nadia Podoroska and Martina Trevisan. So Podoroska, she started off with two consecutive ITF titles, and she made it to the semis at Prague, 
won a third ITF title and then made it all the way through the semifinals at the French Open. Jumped from a year-end ranking last year of 255 to a year-end ranking this year of number 47 instead of top 50. And then Martina Trevisan, you know, she's had that Cinderella story coming back from her struggles with anorexia. Um, made it to the quarterfinals at Roland Garros and she jumped from her year-end ranking last year of 153 to now her career high of 83 in the world. So I think those were some heartwarming stories as well. Four great nominees. If I had to pick my newcomer of the year, I would say Leila Fernandez. I think she had an amazing jump in the rankings. I think she's a young player. She's definitely um, someone who really made her mark this year. Um, I think she had a great match against Petra Kvitova at the French Open too. So I think she's the one everyone's talking about um, as the one of the WTA next gen. So I think I would go with her. Yeah, I completely agree with that pick. Moving on to our last category, which is Coach of the Year. We're going to keep this one short, but we thought this was an interesting category. Our three nominees are Michael Gesserer, who is Jennifer Brady's coach, Peter Serzpatowski, who's Sviatek's coach, and Wim Fissett, who's Osaka's coach. So Michael Gesserer, he was a former German pro tennis player and used to coach Julia Gurgis and actually only started working with Brady at the end of 2019. So Brady actually went with him and her fitness trainer to Germany over the winter where she spent her preseason and she described that as like a really transformative experience in her career and during the COVID break um, Gesserer continued coaching Brady while he was in Germany and she was in Florida and then after COVID is when we saw Brady have her great success so clearly their coaching partnership was really strong throughout that time. Peter Serzpatowski has been working with Sviatek since 2016 and has really been the credit to all of her success so far um, in terms of coaching. So, you know, he helped her rise through the ITF circuit, winning seven titles between 2016 and 18, breaking into the top 100 in 2019, and then obviously this year with the Grand Slam and the career high ranking. So credit to both of them. And then lastly, we have Wim Fissett, who is kind of like the most wanted WTA coach because he has coached several top 10 players and Grand Slam champs like Kim Kleister, Simona Halep, Azarenka, and Kerber. And like Gezerer, he joined Osaka's team only at the end of 2019. And despite a lackluster start to the season for Osaka, obviously they continued working together and Osaka had that great end to her season. And he helped her get her year-end ranking um, back to number three. She started this year at four, fell to 10, and then ended up at three. So that was a good um, bounce back from the two of them. Josefina, who's your pick for coach of the year? Um, I think I'll go with Jennifer Brady's coach because I think the fact that like her results were so prominent this year and the fact that she was being coached from halfway across the world the fact that they were able to make that work I mean imagine if they were in person together the results that she would have gotten and could get next year yeah I definitely agree the thing about um finding her place in Germany too during the preseason training there I think that's also pretty awesome and they seem to have a great partnership despite it being fairly new Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you some fun content during the off-season and, of course, updates on all the tea on tour. 
Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at HOTYR underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released soon, which will include our recap of the 2020 ATP season next week, special guests, and more. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Robert and Shravya's name is Steve. See you next time.